This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for May 14, 2023. The title of the message is Saved to Speak Up. Paul's Epistle to Titus, Chapter 1. We've got First and Second Timothy and then Titus. This evening we'll be um, looking at the last, uh, the last half or the last third of chapter 1 from verses 10 to 16. Here now the reading of God's holy word. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this evening. Last week, we looked at the qualifications of godly shepherds. And one of the reasons that they not only have to be convinced of the truth of right doctrine, right, of sound doctrine, but they have to believe it and teach it. They have to hold to it as a conviction then in order then to really teach it the way that they ought to. And this teaching of sound doctrine will inevitably lead to sound living, right? Uh, the learning is always for the living. Uh, the, the, uh, the doctrine is always for um, practical life. And it's going to lead to an overall culture then of congregational health, right? You are as healthy as your individual members as a collective. So if you teach sound doctrine leading to sound Christian living to the people and as they live sound, uh, sound Christian lives together, you have a sound Christian church. And so the, the reason, so for this reason, the church needs godly shepherds to protect the flock of God from wolves in sheep's clothing, from false teachers who would sneak in and attack the sheep by teaching them um, evil doctrine, uh, bad doctrine, doctrine that go goes against the, the truth of the gospel, uh, doctrine that undermines the grace of God and the gospel. Um, and we need to protect the flock from those who would uh, divide the flock of God, uh, who would um, bring about a disunity and infighting and divisions in the life of the church. And this is why Paul turns then from the qualifications of godly shepherds to the work of godly shepherds in, in protecting the flock, 
They have to guard the doctrine and life of the church from those who would cause division and overturn the unity of the church. So here, Paul tells us how godly shepherds protect the church of Jesus Christ from false and divisive teachers. This is is one of the first applications of of why uh, godly shepherds have to be qualified in such a way in order then to do the work of shepherding that we're going to see here. So how do they do that? First, we must recognize and confront divisive teachers who would disturb the unity of the church. Paul says in verse 9 that godly shepherds must hold firm to the trustworthy word. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Verse 9. Then in verse 10, he tells us how to do that by recognizing false teachers. Right? How can you know who false teachers are if you don't recognize them? And so how do you, what are the characteristics that you can recognize false teachers? They are insubordinate, right? They're going to be insubordinate. They're, they don't like working under someone else's authority. They don't like being told what to do. They, they don't like working with others. They don't work well with others. You know, they don't like taking direction. And they just want to do whatever they want. And what do we call that? Uh, insubordinate, right? They, they're, they're, they're just think about the the, uh, the etymology of the word, uh, unwilling to subordinate themselves, insubordinate. And this speaks then to the kind of people that they really are, why they teach the things that they do, the kind of character with which they possess. They want to divide the church because they don't want anyone to be subordinate to the church. They want someone to be subordinate to them, and that's why they're insubordinate themselves. And, they don't, and, and if you go deeper and deeper into the source of their insubordinate uh, hearts, at the end of the day, it's because they don't want to submit to God's authority. All authority in the Christian church it derives from the authority that comes from God. So if they don't, if they're not subordinate to, to the structures that God has given in His Word and in the church, then they're really not, they're they're not subordinate to God, and that says a lot about their character, and and that in itself uh, should disqualify them from from ministry. But you know, so again, if they're insubordinate, they're just going to do whatever they want, and so Paul is warning us from people like that. And so uh, it's important for us to really consider how to recognize whether a person is going to be a good elder or deacon or just anyone uh, in, in, in leadership positions, in teaching positions within the church. That Can they work under the authority of, of shepherds and elders or, or do they work well uh, uh, submitting under authorities uh, which they work with, and if they're unwilling, and if they can't, then it just says a lot that they're, you know, they're not teachable. Right? They are men who cannot um, uh, uh, work under authority, including God's authority. That's really what, what the, how that 
actually works out practically. Um, they're also going to be empty talkers, not just empty, subordinate, but empty talkers. Right? They're going to talk a good talk, but not walk the walk. They're going to be they're, they're going to be the do as I say, not as I do kind of leaders, right? Kind of teachers. They're going to be smooth talkers, but no substance. They're they're they're, they're going to speak a lot about life principles, how tos, but no gospel. No, no teaching that is going to go deep into uh, their hearts to confront them with their sin, to point them to Jesus, to help them grow so that they might live transformed lives, to be more and more conformed into the image of Christ. They're just going to be like, you know, you know, make a list and this is how you do it, you know. Uh, and you see that, you know, what we see in the, in the, in American modern American evangelical uh, churches is what what we call moralistic therapeutic deism, and all that's just a highfalutin way of saying uh, God helps you to live a better life. And so every sermon is going to be ten ways to to uh, live to be more patient, five ways to uh, be more compassionate, six ways to put your life in order. Three ways, three steps to um, uh, fulfilling your full potential as a Christian or as a person. And then when you hear those sermons, very little of the name of Christ being, being taught. And so empty talkers. And you guys probably have heard preachers, you know, on television maybe, or maybe, you know, in your, in your past experiences in churches where, you know, you listen to you listen to a preacher for forty five minutes, and it's really there's like it's it's just a light pep talk. It's like a TED talk with a little bit of Jesus in it, um, and that's the model of preaching nowadays, at least in some churches, not in all, but in some churches. And 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 I think the the Bible describes that as empty talkers. Their their words have no gravity to it, no meaning, no no substance to, to really hit you. <laughs> it's just empty, hot air. Um, <clears throat> not only, they're also going to be not only insubordinate and be talkers, but they're also going to be deceptive in their life and teaching. They're going to want to hide the truth or hide who they really are. They're going to be the one, uh, there's going to be... Um, one way in which they present ideas to you, the one way that they're going to uh, be in front of you, and they're going to be different when you're not around. They're going to be hypocrites. They're going to have two faces. Um, and so when, you, when they come across an inconvenient truth that goes against what they want, they're going to hide the truth and even outright lie or deceive the people of God. Um, I remember, and this is not the best illustration, but it, it, it's probably one that really comes to my mind, is that when I was becoming Reformed and I was becoming more Calvinistic in my convictions, I grew up in a Methodist church, which is Arminian. They, they believe in uh, free will, that you choose God, you know, and God chooses you because you choose God, and, and that we're not dead in our trespasses and sins. So... So um, even though you're fallen in sin, you have enough free will to choose God. 
and then God will give you new birth, new life. And I remember reading, uh, and, we, and we were taught that election, the doctrine of election was, was um, a lie out of the pit of hell uh, in, in our church. And so I was like, oh man, you know. So I'm reading like Romans 8, Romans 9, and I, and I go to my pastor and, I, and you know, it says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Before, before doing anything good or bad, God chose you know, Jacob over Esau. And, and I remember my pastor going, we don't really, we don't really read that part of the Bible. Like, I, I was like, what? You know, I, and, 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 and so, but he doesn't tell anybody that. Like when he's making his arguments against election um, and somebody points that out, they'll be like, uh, you know, that's like an outlier that doesn't count. And I think, in some ways, that's the spirit of deception, is that, you know, let's just ignore it. Let's ignore the hard parts of scripture that we don't like and teach all the other parts that we do like. And so they deceive the people of God by not teaching the whole truth, only half the truth. Uh, and then there are churches that, you know, you, you, you come across where they absolutely lie where lifestyles that the Bible clearly teaches against as sin, they paper over and say, well, you know, that's, you can interpret it in a different way or the words that they use, uh, they, don't, they don't describe what we understand now as, you know, modern, you know, alternative lifestyles. That was then, this is now. And so they'll outright lie that the Bible doesn't teach um, uh, against sins of homosexuality and, and uh, sexual sins of the like. Um, one, uh, one other example before I move on is um, there's a podcast uh, that came out last year. It was entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. And uh, about maybe five, ten years ago, um, there was a up-and-coming young fiery preacher, very popular, Mark Driscoll, the church grew to like, you know, 20,000 or something like that. And, um, and it turns out that, that he had um, made up fake names, fake accounts on different uh, social media platforms. And he, he uh, kind of uh, wrote some of the most obscene, some of the most harsh, uh, some of the worst language and kind of teachings uh, under pseudonyms, and people found out that that he had that it was Mark Driscoll, pastor of this church, who was spewing out all this really hateful speech and language, uh, you know, um, verbally abuse, abusing people online. And uh, when that got out, you know, the first thing he did was he denied it. Uh, and then when it when it was incontrovertible, you know, he they forced him to step down. But it's things like that where, where pastors and teachers deceive, no matter how little it may seem, speaks volumes uh, to what they, how they really feel about their relationship to the ministry and to the church. That they can lie in little things and they end up, it works its way to lying in big things. So, um, so, so you have to pray. Pray for your elders and deacons and shepherds and leaders, that they would not be deceivers, 
that that they would be so convinced of God's truth in their life that they can't see any other way but to to live a life filled with truth. That what you see is what you get. What they teach is what the Bible clearly states. And they don't have to do mental and verbal gymnastics. Um, and then, then move. Let, let's go to the next point. So after you recognize these these divisive and false teachers, what should you do next? Right? Paul tells us, you respond to them. You recognize them in order to respond to them in the way that you need to. And what does that mean? Look at verse 11. They must be silenced. Right? It, it, it's, it's clear, right? I mean, and I, and I think in our kind of, you know, let's be nice and and uh, let's all get along. We all have, you know, this is a free country. Let's have free speech. Paul tells them, just shut them up, right? And the reason is because we have to protect the sheep. We have to silence those who would spew out lies and falsities. And, and, the, and the reason is because the kingdom of God is not a democracy. We, you know, we do not live under the U.S. Constitution, no matter what people will say. And so when God tells us that we have to um, shut down false teachers spewing out lies and false doctrine, we have to do it. Sometimes it may, it may end up being, you know, just you have to cut someone's mic. You have to uh, remove them from office. You have to uh, take them, you know, you know, tell them they cannot teach in the church of Jesus Christ. And... And so the reason is, right, the reason is because when they teach, they destroy, they divide. Uh, they, do, they do damage to the church of Christ. Look at, what, look at uh, what Paul goes on to say. He tells them why they have to be silenced, because they are upsetting whole families, uh, and why are they accept, uh, upsetting whole families? Because they are teaching for shameful gain. Um, we're not sure exactly what that means, but they're either asking for money to teach or to teach in such a way as to make money or to gain power and influence, you know, as their primary goal. That there's something in it for them as they teach. Very self-serving, very self-centered. And I don't know if you've ever come across someone like that, but it's very disconcerting that they have these like larger than life personalities and they teach in such a way that everybody's just ooing and aahing and, you know, they're fainting over themselves because this guy is such a master teacher. And sometimes, you know, what they teach uh, on the face of it is true, factually, but sometimes... Um, the way in which they teach it is is they become such a personality that no, that um, that they that people who hear them feel like no one else can teach them but them. And so there's some there's different kinds of shameful game gain that that uh, teacher these teachers have. You know, uh, it, some of the things that come to my mind are uh, teachers who want to have a following in the church. You're either against me or for me, 
And then when things start to go south in terms of the unity of the church, they're like, oh, well, I'm out of here. Who's coming with me, right? Or uh, televangelists like on, on, uh, on uh, Christian networks where, where they have these phone numbers where you can give your credit card and, and you know, can you help me buy uh, a private jet because God wants me to travel comfortably across the world because I'm so important. Um, and, and they do it without shame. That, that's the other thing, too. They do it without shame when they ought to have complete shame. And so they're doing it uh, by teaching what they ought not to teach, you know, whatever that may be. False doctrine, um, doctrine that goes against the grace of the gospel, or just simply, you know, some of the weirdest things that the Bible doesn't teach or doesn't speak on. Um, we also have to recognize and respond not only their divisive teaching, but their deceptive teaching uh, that goes against sound doctrine and truth. Uh, that's what we see in verses 12 to 14. And how do they do that? Um, we do that by reading reading them uh, in their own words, reading them in the context in which they are teaching these divisive, deceptive uh, uh, doctrines. Look at verse 12. Paul goes on and he teaches, and these are probably Cretan, Cretan Judaizing Christians, right, uh, who are adding to the gospel. And And he quotes their own Cretan philosophers, and then he applies it to them. Look at verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Now, when you read it, it's really interesting. It's like, wow, Paul, that's such a broad generalization. Maybe you're being a little unfair. Maybe, but I doubt it because I think Paul, and here's here's the, the nuance. Paul is taking what the Cretans themselves know, what they're they're kind of self-reflecting on their own culture and saying, this is what we do. We are liars, gluttons, and uh, evil beasts. This is, it's built into our culture, right? And, and so he's taking their own teaching and using it against them, calling them out on their deception for everyone to hear and to see. See, this is what a smart debater is going to do. He's going to take what they say and use it against them. And, um, and, and we see this throughout the New Testament. Paul, the Apostle Paul being, being educated in, in, the, in the most elite institutions uh, in, in the ancient world. Uh, one of the top students of Gamaliel, the, the, one of the top uh, Pharisees. Um, and he probably being a, a Roman citizen was probably also educated in Greek and Roman uh, philosophy and history. And that's why, for example, when Paul gave his sermon on, the Mar- on Mars Hill, you know, he, he understood what the Greeks were, what the Romans were doing, or sorry, the Greeks were doing when they made a, the, the statue, the shrine to the unknown God hedging their bets, having all of these other gods and then having an unknown God just in case right? He knows their culture and then he uses it for the furtherance of the gospel or the fact that Paul quotes the Greeks' own philosophers 
Uh, oh, you know this about God because your own philosophers say in him we live and move and have our being. That all of us um, come from um, are, and are dependent upon God. And so he uses that as a diving board to preach the gospel. And here he's taking the Cretans' own perspective on their own culture and saying, look, lying is in their culture. So why would we be surprised if they're taking their cultural practice and applying it as teachers in the Christian church? And, and this re- really resonates because um, I remember when uh, some of our early missionaries from Karamoja would come and give, give talks uh, about the, the, what they learned about the Karamojong people in Uganda. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that all the other tribes in that area despise the Karamojong. And the reason is because the Karamojong, they, don't, they think that everything belongs to them. That, that if they steal your cattle... It's because it's not yours, it's theirs. And you let you, if you didn't stop them, then, then that's, that, that's your problem. But if I take it, it's because, because it belongs to me simply because I, I, I say so. So, um, how, so how do you minister into a culture like that? You have to be aware of it. And, and that's how, even from their own lips, they're like, yeah, you know, you call it stealing, we call it, you know, taking what's mine. And, and that's what Paul is doing here. He's taking their own cultural uh, self-reflection and saying they, they lie, right? So, and that's why he's, this testimony is true. And that's where you get the whole cultural thing, like, you know, oh, he's a Cretan, you know. They had that, even in the ancient world, throughout Greece and Rome, they had that, that reputation, and so, um, so then Paul, Paul says you have to beware of them. You have to beware of that deception. And then he tells them to rebuke them sharply. Right? And this means pushing back and correcting them to express your disapproval and disagreement sharply so people will know exactly where you stand. Right? This means as God's leaders and teachers... We can't be wishy-washy about the truth. If we are wishy-washy about the truth, people will be like, oh, it must not be that important to believe as true or false. Right? We have to be absolutely clear in what's true and what's false. So when we hear false doctrine, when we, fe- when we hear bad doctrine that undermines the grace of the gospel, we need to speak up clearly, sharply, firmly, uh, because eternal, eternal lives are at stake. You know, when, if people believe a lie and it forces them unknowingly to reject the gospel of grace, you know, um, then they are on their way to hell. And, and that's why Paul says, you know, when he said to the Ephesian elders, you know, I've preached to you the whole counsel of God, and now my hands are clean of your blood. That's his way of saying, I told you everything you need to know. I didn't hold anything back. And so we can't be wishy-washy. We have to, when we hear, when we, if someone's teaching false doctrine, we need to correct them quickly, sharply, firmly, so that everyone else will know, ah, oh, that, that's, 
that's bad. That's wrong. You know? So, and I think, I think Jay Gresham Machen and, and, you know, he did that very well in his day. And, and I think we as a church, we try to do that as best as we can. We don't do it well, not all the time. Sometimes we push back a little bit too sharply or maybe we are a little bit too um, argumentative. And sometimes, and here's the other thing too, is sometimes uh, disagreements doesn't mean false teaching. Sometimes we can have good, honest disagreements among godly Christians, uh, but sometimes we fight about them as if the whole of the Christian faith depends on, 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 on one interpretation. So, so that's just a warning. To, to, you can, we can kind of be overzealous in applying this, but at the very least, when we hear something clearly false, we have to rebuke them sharply. Um, and when we, when we rebuke people sharply for their false teaching... We do it so that, look at what it says there in verse 13. We do it so that they may be sound in the faith. It's never just to win an argument and to say that you're right, but you want to restore them to, be, to believing and teaching sound doctrine, right? And not devoting themselves, verse 14, to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Um, and so you want to do it, it's a corrective rebuke. It's a restorative re- rebuke. Uh, I know that there, there have been times where um, someone has spoken to me about uh, something that I taught or something that I preached, and, um, and I've really thought long and hard, and I've changed my course. Um, I don't think it was false, right? But, but I know that, that it, it, you know, it, could, it, could, it, it was a corrective to me for my own doctrine, so that I don't kind of continue any mistakes. So, um, so it applies to me and it applies to anyone who teaches in our churches. Um, and then it brings us to the third way to protect God's people. By recognizing and responding to their defiled character and ungodliness, right? They, they are divisive and deceptive because they're defiled, that there's something corrupt in their own hearts by which arises these divisive and deceptive teachings. Uh, and, and it's because they're trying to teach um, Judaizing, Pharisaical Christianity where Gentiles have to follow the, the Mosaic law in order to be Christians. And that's why he says, especially, right? Uh, many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and savers, especially those of the circumcision party to add something to the gospel in order to be saved. And when you do that, you undo the gospel. You reject the gospel. And that's what Paul is pushing back against. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. This is going back to the idea that there are certain foods that are unclean. And what Paul has taught throughout his tenure, what Peter experienced when Jesus told him, you know, kill and eat when, it, when there were unclean animals that he saw on that blanket. Or when Jesus taught during his, uh, his ministry on earth that uh, all foods are clean and it's what's inside us that defiles us. 
when you eat food, it's clean. When it comes out of you, it's unclean. And that's an illustration of the depth of our own defilement. And so what these Judaizers, these circumcision party is doing is they're telling Christians, if you want to be a Christian, you can't eat these foods. It's a do and it's a it's a list of do's and don'ts. That's what Christianity is all about. Um, and what and they're they're undermining the freedom of the Christian, the liberty of the Christian, that God has saved them uh, in order then to be free and not to be bound to the Old Testament law of of ceremonies and sacrifices and of the dietary laws and. Um, and that somehow, somehow, just like we, we heard this morning, somehow, um, somehow, if you do something, God will love you or accept you more. And that's what they're teaching. And so they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. That, um, that you have to, in order to be a good Christian, you have to avoid these things. And so they're like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds great on the surface of things. But true biblical Christianity that acknowledges this power of the Holy Spirit for life-transforming uh, work in one's heart is not do this and don't do that. What it is is, what it is, is that everything is clean. Um, everything is clean, at, you know, because God in Christ is transforming you and cleansing you from within and because they are just and and here's the heart of it all this is the, this is the heart of who they are as people as teachers is that they are detestable disobedient unfit for any good work they're just completely and utterly unqualified to be teachers in the church of jesus christ and that's why we need godly shepherds to protect God's people from these wolves in sheep's clothing who will divide, who will destroy, who will consume the sheep of, of God. And so we have to watch out for them. So pray for your elders and, and deacons to watch out, to recognize, to protect, but also for yourselves uh, to watch out for that and to speak to us about it and also not to be swayed by it. Um, that means, you know, being careful what you watch on television. You know, I mean, uh, I, I don't want to, I also don't want to, to say, you know, it's sin to watch whatever, I don't know, uh, watch any particular television shows or, or any televangelists. But what I am saying is, is that, you know, um, with the, with the advent of the internet, there are lots of teachers and not all of them are as orthodox as they should be or they could be. And so just to watch out, be discerning in your own heart, in your own faith and test it against God's word and maybe even in consultation with, with, with me or with the elders, test it. Prove that it's true. Prove that it's what the Bible teaches. Don't just take it and then run with it and all of a sudden later on I find out like, you know, uh, oh, I, I went down this rabbit hole of this one preacher, and now, you know, I'm uh, I'm going to become a messianic Jew, you know, or I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying that that's happened. There there have been people who who uh, you know got their theology from the internet, and then they just went in very wacky d 
wacky uh, um, uh, directions in their faith. So, uh, so let me close there and just, just encourage you to pray for, for our church and for me. Uh, and um, and, I, th- and I, I, I would like to, to say that the reason why we can have confidence that, that uh, the church of Jesus Christ has godly shepherds is because the great shepherd of the sheep ultimately is the one who protects us. And we can take confidence in that. That's why he died. He died to save us from, from our sins. And he died to protect us from wolves in, sheep cloth- in sheep's clothing as his under-shepherds lay down their lives to protect you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for, for godly shepherds who protect us from those who would divide uh, those who would deceive, and those who would defile. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, for the good news that keeps us safe, that saves us. And Lord, would you protect us then? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.